Can I put that in? <laughs> no, no, I meant, can I put that in the episode? <laughs> <laughs> she says, oh, I thought that was a phaser in your pocket. <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. A fun and fascinating look at Star Trek, the original series. I'm your navigator, Dana Smith, and our chief sarcasm officer is my good friend, Dan Calzaretta. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> if we were on the Enterprise, you would definitely be the chief sarcasm officer. So. Oh, well, thank you. Well, you know who, who does a lot of sarcasm, though, is Spock, really, if you think about it. Oh, yeah. Some of his comments towards McCoy. and Especially. Humans in general. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Point. So maybe you're part Vulcan. Could be. <laughs> I don't have pointy ears. I got some pointy teeth. Does that count? I don't know if that counts. I, I, I don't know if that's the same. I don't, I don't remember Vulcans having pointed teeth. They don't. I don't think. No. Speaking of teeth, though, I got some stuff stuck in my teeth from dinner tonight, Dana. <laughs> oh, it's driving me crazy. Crazy. Yeah, they make this stuff called floss. That's yeah. So that's a... <laughs> yeah. I can't use it because I, I broke off part of a filling using that last week. So uh, I do have a water pick that works great. What's even better is when I'm using that water pick and there's just stuff coming out. It's just great. <laughs> I just feel so clean afterwards. Yeah, but how about you? How are things going for you? Good. Craziness end of the month at work and uh, doing a lot of projects right now. So that's keeping me busy and it's uh, near the end of football season. So, you know. How are you feeling about the, the Super Bowl? I would have liked to seen the Lions, but I'm, you know, other than that, Super Bowl is usually not the best game. It's usually the playoff games are better. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Also because they stretch the Super Bowl out for seven hours or whatever it is. And, <laughs> I mean, it's an all day thing, really. You know, you know how they have all those betting sites that you can go to? Oh, yeah. Everything you can bet on, right? Well, I'm going to guess this year you're going to be able to bet on the number of times that they show Taylor Swift during the game. Yeah. Did you hear about all the uh, death threats she's been getting? Yeah. Did you hear about the four guys that died on their friend's porch? Did they figure out what happened? No, they said so far. I was reading something just yesterday. They said that these, uh, so far, the police are just saying it's uh, the death investigation. It's not a homicide investigation or anything. But, you know, you're sitting outside, <laughs> you're drinking, you know, yeah. you're, you're having a good time. You drink too much and, you know, you're warm for the moment and you fall asleep. But, I mean, they didn't find these guys for two days. The yeah. guy didn't come out of his house for two days. Well, maybe he doesn't go in the backyard. I don't know. And one guy was on the front porch. <laughs> hey, this is this is what we should do. We should do a crime podcast next. That's what we should do. Starting with that one. We'd have dozens of listeners, Dana. Dozens. <laughs> yeah, because there's a lot of crime podcasts out there right now. So. There's a lot, but man, they're they're popular. But they're probably not as fun as we are. I don't know. Well, we, we'd make it fun. We would make death fun, Dana. So, Dan, let's get into the listener comments. Yeah, let's do it. On Facebook... We had uh, Corey Hollows or Hollowa. We had Corey say, good episode. Corey, wait, what, how do you spell his last name? H-O-L-L-O-W-W-A. I think his keyboard got stuck. And, yeah. Like letters repeated there. I'm not sure about that. Our good friend Pam McClung had a few comments. Uh, one of them was, so it seems like Chekhov has his brain slash memories altered, so he will hate the Klingons because they killed a brother that didn't actually exist if the entity wanted 
everyone to hate and fight each other, why didn't all the crew think thoughts like Chekhov did? Was he more susceptible or something? Why wasn't Sulu or others affected the same way? That's a good question. That's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's Russian. Maybe that's why. And they drink so much vodka. You know, I mean, he starts seeing extra family members. Right. So Jay Smith said the Klingon's wife's makeup was horrible. Yes, I agree. Thank you. And our good friend William Crawl said, uh, good take on the episode. One of my favorite things is the effect used for the Klingon transporter. I like us different from the Federations. As for why the Klingons had to die, come on, they're Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, good point. He says, it's funny how the Klingons and Enterprise crew keep fighting when Kirk tells them to stop, but both sides immediately lay down their arms when Kang does. You, you point that out as well, Dan. Yeah. He says, did that hurt Kirk's ego? Of course it did. <laughs> and uh also whenever i hear Chekhov saying they killed my brother i can't help but think of anita singing to maria a boy like that who killed your brother that's from uh, west side story oh and he included the clip from west side story oh wow that's great yeah i had no clue what that was from i was tempted to sing that for a second but we've got enough problems with this show as it is so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would have left it in. That I would have left in. <laughs> I used to think when I was a young kid, and my parents both liked musicals, mm -hmm. my mom especially, I used to think that as adults, when you went to parties and stuff, you know, all dressed up, everybody broke out in song and started singing and dancing, you know, and hmm. I was so disappointed to grow up and find out that's not true. You're just not going to the right parties, Dana. <laughs> I think that's it. What about you? Did you, you know, then grow up liking musicals? Yeah. No, I, I like musicals. I like them a lot. Do you, you love them? I mean, you, like you go out of your way to see one or it's like if there's one, you might watch it like a, a movie or something. There's certain ones that uh, I would go out of my way to watch, you know, uh, Gene Kelly, the, uh, you know, American in Paris and Singing in the Rain, two of mm -hmm. my favorites. Mm -hmm. Some of the uh, Fred Astaire ones. Great stuff. Mostly, you know, you got dancing and singing. Yeah. So. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. Your answer, okay? Your answer will determine, Dana, whether we can remain friends. Okay? <laughs> and I'm not joking. Okay? <laughs> what do you think of the musical, The Sound of Music? Careful. <laughs> I've never been a big fan. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. it's okay. Oh! Ooh, you should have just stopped with I've never been a big fan, Dana. <laughs> oh, God. You, you hate that movie, don't you? Oh, I can't even I can't even explain <laughs> the amount of hate. I'm not a hateful person, Dana, really. I mean <laughs> I, I have several episodes we can go back and listen to again where I can prove you wrong. <laughs> okay. I'm occasionally a hateful person, but <laughs> my God, Dana, I hate that musical. I hate it with a passion. What is it that you hate about it? I well, I don't know, really. I mean, you know how sometimes you have some food and you're like, ah, I hate that. Or, yeah. or you have some food and you're like, oh, I love it. I don't know why. I hate it. Okay, should we get back to uh, talking about Star Trek? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, hold on. I got to get the ramble jar out here, Dana, because there we go. <laughs> Throw it right in. Might as well get started now. So our friend uh, Zoom Kwan said, uh, he has in uh, brackets, says, intended to be read in an ultra nerdy voice. I'm going to give this a try. Oh, okay. This will be good. Well, actually, this episode should have ended within the first five minutes due to the Organian Peace Treaty established in the first season episode, Errand of Mercy. <laughs> <laughs> 
How was that? That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Sound like you had so. some practice with that voice, Dana. Like uh... that's how I talk at work, actually. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> get a lot of respect by talking like that. Oh, I sure. Work, I work with a lot of nerds. Great people, by the way. Okay, uh, Michelle Strong said, fun episode. You mean the podcast or the Star Trek episode? I'm thinking it's the podcast. Has to be. Dan, do we have any YouTube comments? Yeah, funny you ask, Dana. We've got a couple that I want to read. We had a bunch, but really just two I'd like to point out. A new listener, David, said about the episode Spectre of the Gun, they probed Kirk's mind and they didn't find one Orion slave girl or any of his old (laughs) girlfriends. (laughs) Dana, you know, David has a point there, I think. Uh, they could yeah. have really messed with the crew by pulling out some crazy stuff from Kirk's, like, subconscious, don't you think? Oh, man, I am I would think the whole town would just be, like, exes. Like a brothel. Yeah. Just all over the place. That would have been a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> and J.D. Lewis, he sent us another fun fact about Day of the Dove. J.D. says, fun fact, as lackluster as this episode was, it could have been worse. As originally scripted, the episode ended with a peace march. While that original ending might have been in the spirit of the late 60s, it would have aged poorly over time. As always, it was a great show today. Take care and have a wonderful weekend. So, Dana, that's all I have for today. Well, thanks to everyone who shared our posts on Facebook, by the way. Carrie's Trek World did, Norma, Barry, Pam, several others who uh, helped spread the word about our podcast. We really appreciate that. Yeah. So, Dan, we didn't get any phone calls again this week. So why don't you put that phone number out there so people will know what number to call? Yeah, please do. Call the Damn It Jim hotline at 509 676 Six two nine eight. We would love to hear from you. There's a good chance you leave a message. Uh, you'll end up on the Damage Gym podcast. Yep, whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you do not want to be on the podcast, you should say that at the beginning. I won't yeah, listen to what you say there anyway. I, just, <laughs> I don't think it's legally binding. So, Dan, now we're on to Season 3, Episode 8, For the World is Hollow. And I have touched the sky. And it is indeed, Dana, the longest episode title in all of Star Trek. Wow. So we start off with missiles streaming towards the Enterprise. Spock is in the captain's chair. The ship is on red alert. Kirk arrives and gets updates. Spock reports the missiles are traveling at sublight speed. Yeah, hold on. Hold on a second, Dana. Where was Kirk? He was probably making time with some yeoman in the elevator. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was maybe taking a dump or something. I don't know. Well, in the future, you know, they probably do have some type of diaper that they wear. I mean, they're not going to call it a diaper. They're going to call it like a, I don't know, self-contained fecal elimination system or something like that. <laughs> you know. And it, I bet in the future, North Shore adult diapers, they, they still are a company, but they become North Star adult diapers. Don't you think it'd be kind of a good little oh, yeah. twist there? North Star, yeah. North Star, yeah. So since you haven't called tombstone can you call north shore diapers and see if they want to be a sponsor yeah i think i need to do that in tandem i i I will do it i'm gonna call them this week yeah i promise and when i say promise i mean i probably won't but i'll 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 try (laughs) kirk asks what the missile's destination is and spock says apparently the enterprise so kirk orders phasers ready and asks Chekhov to find the point of origin they fire on the approaching missiles and the missiles are blown up kirk orders to set a course for the missile's origin 
So uh, next we go to sick bay where McCoy and Chapel are in kind of a heated discussion. And Chapel is saying that she's called the captain. She says, I'm a nurse first and a member of the crew second. So McCoy dismisses her, but she stays. Kirk enters and asks what the emergency is. And McCoy more politely asks Chapel to leave. And he's pretty testy about it. She finally complies, but doesn't seem happy about it. McCoy goes to Kirk and says uh, that he has done standard examinations of the entire crew. Dan, that's over 400 and some people. I think he did it just that morning. I thought the same thing, Dana. (laughs) Yeah, 430 people, right? Yeah. Okay, let's say they did all 400. Let's say it's 400. It makes the math a little easier, although it's never really easy for me. So 400. I mean, an examination, even with like some kind of scanner, it's going to take, I don't know, what do you think, five, ten minutes? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to take a while. And you want to like ask the people questions and, you know, so it's not just like wham, bam, thank you, man, push them out the door. You mean like now? <laughs> no, well, yeah, my last doctor was like that. That's why I'm looking for a new doctor. So Kirk asks, is it serious? And McCoy responds, Terminal. Okay, Dana, I am really looking forward to your pronunciation of this. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) I spelled it out phonetically the way it sounded to me. Okay, let's see. Xenopolysthemia. So, Dana, it doesn't matter how you pronounce it. It could be perfect, and someone's (laughs) going to correct us. Xenopolysthemia. It has no cure. He has one year to live at the most. Who is it? The ship's chief medical officer. Uh, now, see, Dana, I, I feel bad now for all the bad things I've said about him in the last, like, I don't know. It's been, well, it's probably been this this whole season for sure. Season three has not been good for McCoy. No, and I, and I and also you, have said a lot of bad things about him. Mostly you. Mostly, yeah, mostly me. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I got the feeling he's probably going to pull through. <laughs> Yeah. Now, you know, polycythemia is a real disease, not the xeno part. They added that for the show, but it's a type of blood cancer. Wow. Causes your bone marrow to make too many red blood cells. The excess cells thicken your blood, slowing its flow, which may cause serious problems, (laughs) which I think it would if it's like not going fast enough. I'm thinking with all the alcohol I've drank over the years, there's no way my blood could thicken up ever. (laughs) (laughs) Probably true. Yeah. In fact, you probably don't want it have blood drawn and get a match near it either i would think <laughs> yeah i'm like type a 80 proof so next thing we see is the ship moves towards an asteroid that asteroid looked like a huge copper light like a huge what copper light that's a fossilized dinosaur turd things you learn on this show <laughs> so. dinosaur turds polycythemia <laughs> Yeah, all kinds of stuff. We hear the captain's log. I have just had the sad duty of informing Starfleet about Dr. McCoy's condition and have requested an immediate replacement. Not Dr. Mabinga. He likes slapping people around too much. So. <laughs> that would have been great, actually, if they would have gotten him. Oh, yeah. He was a good character. I thought the actor who played him was great. I liked him, too. So Spock confirms the origin of the missiles came from the asteroid. The asteroid is about 200 miles in diameter. Not very big. So he adds, it's under power, atomic power, archaic, and leaving a trail of debris and hard radiation. Well, that really begs the question, Dana, what's soft radiation? And how does it turn from soft to hard? That's what I'd like to know. Kirk orders, of course, directly towards the asteroid. Dan doesn't know where they were going anyways. I thought so. So Spock reports it has an outer shell, which is hollow, and says there are no life forms inside. And Scotty says it must be on automatic controls. 
Kind of makes sense, I suppose, huh? So Chekhov provides the course heading for the asteroid. Spock says the asteroid is headed towards Darren 5. I will for now, for the rest of the show, call it uh, the Bobby Darren 5. Bobby Darren 5 is populated approximately by 3 billion and 724 million people. Uh, estimated time of impact, 396 days. So just over a year. Right, uh, an Earth year. <laughs> Again, it seems like some recycled ideas here to me. So Kirk says, uh, Mr. Sulu, match Enterprise speed with that of the asteroid vessel. And Mr. Spock and I are going to be transporting aboard. Mr. Scott, you have the con. In the transporter room, McCoy and Chapel are there. Chapel says, a lot can happen in a year. Give yourself every minute. Kirk and Spock enter and McCoy steps up on the transporter pad. Kirk says that uh, he and Spock are going down. McCoy says, without me, you'd never find your way back. Kirk says, I think it would be wiser. And McCoy says, I'd like to go. And Kirk finally nods and gets on the transporter pad. So they beam inside the asteroid slash spaceship. There's rocks and steam rising from the ground in a few spots. And uh, it's a sandy surface. And sky is kind of orange. McCoy comments that it looks like a planet. Brilliant. Wow. <laughs> so glad we brought you along. <laughs> Where's that astrogeologist when you need him? Spock says, one fails to see the logic in making a ship look like a planet. So they move forward and see four large cylindrical objects protruding from the ground. So McCoy says, you found no intelligent life forms, Mr. Spock? But surely, and Spock interrupts and says, the asteroid ship is over 10,000 years old, Doctor. Still, no sign of life forms, Captain. Just then, the covers of the silos move up and men emerge from the silos and attack the landing party. Their clothes, though, Dana, look like they're wearing some kind of, I don't know, hippie curtains from the 1960s or something. I mean, the colors and the designs, they just, you know. And, and what are those hats? We've seen those hats they were wearing. Yeah, it was almost like a rubber hat pulled tight on their head with a round disc on the top, right? Yeah, but it reminded me of the kind of some of the hats that they wore in uh, Friday's Child. Maybe they just modified them for this episode. The attackers are brandishing swords. From last week's episode, probably. Yeah. So they start fighting, and right away, you see that McCoy has a stunt double. The only thing that looked like McCoy was the fact he was wearing a blue shirt. <laughs> <laughs> they got the guy's hair dark, at least, but I mean, it was nowhere near looked like... Uh, DeForest Kelly. At least we didn't have Frank and Spock. You know that guy? Yeah, I was looking for that. Yeah, but uh, no, not this time. So the crew fights them off as a woman steps out of one of the silos. McCoy stands up and sees the woman and freezes. <laughs> and one of the soldiers knocks him out. Did you think she cast a spell on him or something? She, he like froze and there was like this sound. And I know what that sound was. <laughs> Care to explain? No. <laughs> Kirk and Spock are captured shortly after McCoy is knocked down. The soldiers give the communicators and phasers to the woman. The woman says, I am Natira, the high priestess of the people. Welcome to the world of Yonada. So they get taken down in one of the silos. We see people waiting below as we get a view from between the stair steps that they're going down. Then they uh, come down and people are all watching them. They're led down a hallway to a golden door with symbols on each side. So Natira raises her arms to the door, then makes sweeping hand gestures over the symbols to each side of the door. The door opens, revealing an obelisk kind of thing with a sun star image on it. So they kneel. McCoy says to Kirk, uh, she calls this their world they don't even know they're on a spaceship and kirk says they've been in flight for ten thousand years maybe they don't know 
And he's not even talking quietly. Like, she would hear him. In fact, one of the guards, like, pokes him with a sword to tell him to shut up. Yeah. She turns back to the crew and asks who they are. And Kirk does the introductions. And she asks, for what reason do you come to our world? Kirk says, we've come in friendship. Suddenly, a deep voice booms, supposedly coming from the Oracle, I guess. Mm -hmm. Then learn what it means to be our enemy before you learn what it means to be our friend. The men are suddenly electrified. Their bodies glow as they are stunned. When the shock stops, the three men collapse to the ground. I mean, do you think that makes logical sense that you would want to show the amount of power you have? Yeah, I do that when I hire people. <laughs> I bring them in and I fire them right away. Sure. We've had a hard time hiring people. I don't know why. <laughs> have you ever said to them, kneel before the Oracle? <laughs> Later, the men wake up in a room. Kirk goes to wake up McCoy, but McCoy doesn't stir. Spock comments that the doctor must have received an extra strong jolt of electricity. Kirk quietly says the shock was serious because of McCoy's weakened condition. Spock inquires what the problem is, and Kirk tells him, and Spock says he is aware of the disease. Just then, McCoy starts to wake up, and he says, Oracle really got to me. McCoy tries to push himself up, and Spock reaches out and puts a hand on his arm, and Kirk says, Spock knows. Well, let's face it, Dana, everyone knows now, because the Federation's been told, right? <laughs> Kirk had to call them and request a new doctor. Spock's been told, and you know, up on the ship, Chapel's just telling everybody about it. Oh, yeah. It's probably writing on the bathroom walls and stuff. Spock says, Captain, informing these people they're on a ship, maybe in violation of the prime directive of Starfleet Command. Yeah, it would be. And Kirk says, no, the people of Yolanda. <laughs> no, he's like, no, no one. And I'm going to make up a reason right now to tell you why. <laughs> Kirk says, no, the people of Yolanda may be changed by the knowledge, but it is better than exterminating them. And Spock says, logical, Captain. Kirk says, and the three billion on Bobby Darren 5. <laughs> and Spock says, also logical, Captain. So this old guy enters the room. Yeah, it's a man who comes in and gives them some herbs to give them strength. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What kind of herbs were those, Dana? Well, McCoy says it tastes like an ancient herb derivative. So here's the thing. <laughs> this old creepy guy comes in, who, by the way, had really bad teeth. Bad teeth. I don't, I don't know if they were prop teeth or if they were his real teeth, but they looked bad, Dana. But, but here's the thing. He gives McCoy that herb and McCoy just like puts it in his mouth instead of using a, I don't know tricorder or something i mean kind of trusting yeah and kirk and spock did the same thing yeah. it could have been poison so the man says you are not of yonada haven't we heard this kind of phrase before you are not of the body oh kirk says no we are from outside your world the man seems puzzled by this he says where is outside then he's suddenly struck with a pain uh you can see he kind of winces then he whispers years ago i climbed the mountain even though it is forbidden. Then he winces in pain again. Kirk asks, why is it forbidden? And the old man says, I'm not sure. And the things are not as they teach us. And then he says, For the world is hollow, and I have touched the sky. Wow. He died quick. He was old, too. And had bad teeth, really bad teeth. But he had good herb. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Kirk violated the prime directive right there. Oh, because he told them they were from outside. Yeah. I mean, isn't that a violation? Yeah, because you're, you're letting people know that there is an outside. 
Exactly. Natira arrives with two women bearing food and drink. She sees the old man and says, what happened? <laughs> like, she's not even that concerned. I mean, she's just like, hey, what happened to that guy? Yeah. And Kirk says, we don't know. He screamed in pain and died. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I find that funny. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Natira comes and kneels down by the old man. She says, wow, he really had bad teeth. Maybe that killed him. <laughs> yeah. And some serious B.O. Now, you didn't use any of the herb. This guy's a known herb dealer (laughs) on this planet. You did not take anything from him, did you? She says, forgive him, for he was an old man. And old men are sometimes foolish. And we're living proof of that, Dan. But (laughs) But it is written that those of the people who sin or speak evil shall be punished. I mean, he didn't say anything that bad, did he? Yeah, he didn't say, like, you know, it's all a big lie. They're fucking us over or anything. (laughs) Don't believe the woman. (laughs) Yeah, nothing. Nothing. Didn't didn't even really mention the oracle, you know. And, you know, so I touched the sky. Everybody like, yeah, yeah, crazy old man. Okay. Yeah, herb dealer. Yeah, you touch the sky. Touch the sky. A little too much of his own herb. Yeah. So uh, McCoy walks over to the bed and sits down. And he puts his hand to his forehead. Natira walks over to him and says, you do not seem well. And McCoy says, I'm all right. She looks at Kirk and Spock and says, it is the will of the Oracle. Remind me of uh, the will of Landrew, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Recycle. That you now be treated as honored guests. <laughs> Since we shocked the shit out of you and you know, <laughs> tried to kill you when you first landed. And <laughs> Kirk goes to McCoy and says, You seem to be the special favorite. Indeed, Doctor. The young lady did show a marked preference for your company. Well, now, nobody can blame her for that, can they? Personally, I find the lady's taste questionable, but she obviously prefers you, and you obviously don't seem to mind. Natira returns, and the women come over with a drink tray. She says it is time to refresh yourselves. McCoy takes one of the cups and hands it to Natira, and they lock eyes for a moment. Kirk says, to our good friends on Yonata. Spock says, we are very interested in your world. And Kirk asks, uh, you don't mind if we look around, do you? <laughs> That's what we let people do on the Enterprise. (laughs) Anyone. She says, no, not at all. And McCoy coughs a little, and she asks if he is well enough to go about. McCoy stares at her, and he says, maybe not. She says she will stay and talk. During this whole scene, the two other women who were in the room that were holding the tray of food and the drinks, I don't know where they went to acting school, Dana, but (laughs) wow. Bad. I think there were somebody's relatives that just, you know, hey, we need two women. Yeah. And they don't have to be able to act. You know, they're just going to hold trays. And then kind of look back and forth. Yeah. Bad. Just so bad. I mean, we've already established, Dana, that I cannot act, but I could probably do better than those two. Next time uh, you come over, I'll have you serve me drinks and see how well you act about doing it. (laughs) (laughs) I do have a dream, though, to be in a commercial. Have I told you this? No. I want to be in a commercial. I don't want to be the lead in the commercial. I just want to be in the background, but I can't be blurred out. You got to be able to tell it's me. (laughs) So I really want, if any of our listeners like cast people for commercials, please choose me. I don't need a speaking part. You don't even have to pay me. I just want to be in the background, but you can't blur me out. Any particular type of commercial you want to be in? Doesn't matter. Adult diapers. Yeah. Could be adult diapers, could be, I don't know, you know, all, all the various medicine commercials. I, I don't really care. I just want to be in one. If you get it, a role in a commercial, then I want to be in that commercial too. Well, hold on. I don't want to ruin my chances <laughs> of being in the commercial. <laughs> 
The thing is, you have been trained as an actor. You could have the speaking role. I just want to be in the background. I was I was telling my wife this. This is a dream. Before I die, I want to be in a commercial. Okay. Yeah. How about if you had to wear like alien makeup? No, no. I mean, I have to be able to tell people that's me and have people look at that and go, oh, yeah. Why'd you decide to do an erectile dysfunction commercial? <laughs> So, hey, I take what I can get, so to speak. Kirk says, thank you for taking care of Dr. McCoy. And she says, not at all. We will make him well. Kirk and Spock exit. So one of the women comes over and offers McCoy food, but he says, no, thanks. Natira tells the women to leave, and the women set the trays down and leave. I'm surprised they could manage that. Do you mean leave? Do you mean, like, <laughs> exit? You hear the director in the background, go, just go. <laughs> Upstage, the door upstage. Don't walk off through the wall. <laughs> they really were bad. It's interesting when you see an actor who is so bad that it actually pulls you out of the episode. That's what these two did for me. Yeah. I wonder if they were in the credits. No. <laughs> so McCoy asks how the Oracle punished the old man. And she says, I cannot tell you now. And she says, McCoy, there is something I must say. He says, is there a woman for you? And McCoy seems slightly stunned, then shakes his head, no. And then she says, does McCoy find me attractive? And he goes, oh, yes. Yes, I do. Natira says, I wish you to stay on Yonanda as my mate. The look on his face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he like stands up and he's like, uh, uh, but we're strangers to each other. And Natira says, but is it not the nature of men and women that the pleasure is in the learning of each other? No, can't dispute that. First thing she said that made sense to me. So, And McCoy says, there's something I need to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, Tana? What's he going to tell her? <laughs> he says, I have an illness for which there is no cure. She looks saddened and he adds, I have one year to live. And Atira says, until I saw you, there was nothing in my life. Now it sings. I could be happy to have that feeling for a day, a week, a month, a year, whatever the creators hold in store for us. They stare at each other, then McCoy moves forward, and they kiss. Yeah, not a Kirk kind of kiss, though. So we go back to Kirk and Spock wandering through the halls. People are everywhere. Spock spots the Oracle room. They see the writing on the walls, and Spock says the writing is definitely for Brini. So Kirk says their son went supernova and destroyed the planet. And Kirk says they built a ship, and these are their descendants. No one in sight. Spock makes the hand gestures over the writings, and the door to the Oracle opens up pretty bad like security on that door i mean you wave your hand one way you wave your hand another way and the thing opens up <laughs> just like last week you know no password thumbprint or anything so kirk and spock slip inside the oracle's room they hide and kirk says the oracle doesn't see us they step forward and approach the area that natira knelt on spock says the oracle's reprehensible behavior started when natira knelt on that platform so he kneels on there just to shock the crap out of kirk <laughs> <laughs> Captain, stand you know, like, approximately here. Uh, yeah, I just, this is just a test. <laughs> <laughs> Testing a theory. Kirk sees another obelisk with some symbols on it, and he goes to it. He says, this plaque represents a star and eight planets. Spock says the same as the Fabrina solar system. Now it's the Fabrini, but now he calls them the Fabrina. Remember Farina? <laughs> remember that stuff? Nasty. What the hell was that? Yeah, so I, I remember like doing a sleepover at some kid's house. Yeah. And the morning his grandma 
grandmother made farina for us. And I was like, oh, I've never had that before. And he's pouring sugar all over and stuff. And I'm, so I pour some sugar on it and I'm just like, there is not enough sugar in the world <laughs> to make this better. And then she came out and she had maple syrup and she poured that on. That could make it okay. That helped, but I was still like choking that stuff down. <laughs> I must drink like four glasses of orange juice trying to wash that stuff down. So, so Natira enters and Spock and Kirk hide behind uh, the smaller obelisk. She comes in and kneels on the platform and she says, uh, it is written that only the high priestess can choose her own mate. The Oracle says he must become one of the people, worship the creators and agree to the insertion. <laughs> Of the instrument of obedience. <laughs> He's got an instrument of obedience. <laughs> she gets up to leave and suddenly Spock and Kirk are electrified again. She comes back and the Oracle asks who they are. What kind of Oracle is he? Isn't he supposed to be all knowing? <laughs> Natura says, it's two of the visitors, Spock and Kirk. The Oracle says, McCoy is not with them. It's like, what are you, fucking stupid? You don't see? You're electrifying two people in the room. <laughs> what kind of Oracle are you? Yeah, a very bad Oracle. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, and so when guards rush in, she says, when the Oracle releases them, take them. They're probably going to be pretty easy to carry. <laughs> so then we cut to Natira in her room. McCoy enters and asks, what are you going to do to my friends? And she says, they entered the Oracle room. McCoy says, the, the punishment is death. She says, uh, we gave them our trust. They betrayed us. Hold on, Dana. She said they could go anywhere. She didn't say anywhere but the Oracle room. Right. And you'll be put to death, by the way, if you go in that room. That would have been good to know. It wouldn't have stopped them. At least they'd have an idea of what they were in for. So uh, McCoy says, they acted out of ignorance. Please, let them return to the ship. No, wait. Does she know they're from another <laughs> world? She does now. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're going to say all that stuff, why not say, we're here to help you from wiping out the Bobby Darren planet? Right. And your own asteroid with all these people on it yeah i mean the oracle would understand right don't you think oracle's kind of an ass dan yeah the oracle's yeah you're right about that yeah so he says please let them return to the ship he says how do you think i would feel if i stayed here with the chance to be happy for the first time in my life but knowing my friends had died i'm not sure he would care that much really yeah i think he'd get over it so. <laughs> <laughs> the tira says yes so be it this i will do for mccoy well, wait a second. Now, if she does that, isn't she violating the Oracle? And doesn't it know she's doing it because she's got the little thing in her head, too? You would think, but she didn't have any headaches. No. That's going to come after they're married. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make it clear, Dana, I have no idea what you mean by that statement, in case my wife is listening. <laughs> she kisses his hand. And he's like, I just wipe my ass with that. I, you know, <laughs> you guys, you guys don't haven't invented toilet paper yet. Yeah. <laughs> you really shouldn't have done that. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> So next, we're, we're on the surface where the silos are. Kirk and Spock are handed their weapons and communicators by the guards. McCoy comes out, and Kirk says, You're returning with us. No, I'm not. Bones, this isn't a planet, it's a spaceship. On a collision course with the Darren Five. If we can't correct the course, we'll have to blast it out of space. Again, I, I just don't think it's a binary decision here, you know? At that point... <laughs> 
you you either nudge it or you go and you really show the people like here's the deal and we're just going to beam all of you off the the thing you know i mean i don't or you say yeah you know you guys have a computer that's driving this thing or or you got a drunk or something driving it <laughs> <laughs> here's this planet this is your path yeah this is you know and then like show a little diagram here's the path you're supposed to be on mm -hmm. and say do what you need to do to fix it yeah mccoy says he's staying no matter what spock comments that uh mccoy's decision is most illogical i didn't say it was illogical when you had your whole pond far thing going on <laughs> yeah yeah talk about craziness yeah yeah Kirk calls up to the Enterprise and tells Sky to beam him and Spock up. Scotty asks, what about McCoy? And we see McCoy backs away from them. And you just hear this cheer from the Enterprise. <laughs> Scotty's doing a jig up there. <laughs> the crew's going, ma-binga, ma-binga. <laughs> we finally got rid of him. <laughs> now can we blast the planet out of existence just to make sure <laughs> oh poor dr mccoy it's just this season he's just been it's been a bad season for him. right it has been so next we go to the room with the oracle the voice of the oracle says he must wear the instrument of obedience to become one of the people and mccoy agrees and atira uses a device to then puts his her hand on mccoy's temple so she pulls her hand away and says, it is done. And the oracle says, teach him the ways of the people. And we see the obelisk cross the room. The lighting changes and Natira walks towards it with McCoy following. She touches like a couple of the planets on the top. And then the top slides open, revealing a white book. Looked a lot like the uh, book from the Mobs of Chicago thing. Yeah, I wonder why. So she says, this is the book of the people to be opened and read when we reach the new world. So back on the Enterprise, in Kirk's quarters, Spock is standing, Kirk is sitting at his desk. Uh, we see the Admiral on the view screen. The Admiral speaking says, Captain Kirk, I sympathize with your wish to stay, but I hope you recognize the necessity that you continue on your mission. Kirk looks pretty upset, and Spock says, I believe it is time to move on. Leave him there. We've already established <laughs> that we're leaving him. Spock's like, well, we tried. Let's go. <laughs> I'll run up to the bridge right now and tell him to get his warp nine out of here. <laughs> we don't want to be here when those photon torpedoes hit that quote-unquote asteroid. <laughs> so then, just then, Uhura calls and says, urgent message from Dr. McCoy. And uh, so Kirk opens up the intercom. McCoy says, I think you can get these people back on course. I've seen the book that has the knowledge of the creators. And all of a sudden, McCoy winces in pain and he fights through it. He goes on, if you can get to it. And then he winces more. And he says, and get Spock. And he stands up from where he was sitting. He says, to dig through it. The pain becomes too much. And then he collapses on the floor. And Spock is like, well, I think we need to go. <laughs> yeah. He's obviously crazy, so <laughs> let's just move on. <laughs> so uh, Natira enters the room, and she runs to McCoy. We hear Kirk's voice on the communicator. We see the glowing spot on McCoy's forehead as Kirk keeps asking what's happening. So next we see Natira kneeling down by McCoy. She's, <laughs> she's holding his hand. Or something. <laughs> Oops. That one just slipped out, Dana. Sorry. <laughs> so just then, Kirk and Spock being down inside her room, Natira says, you are killers of your friend. And Kirk pulls her away, and Spock removes the obedience device from McCoy's temple. And Kirk goes to McCoy and asks what it was he was trying to tell them. McCoy says, the book is in the room with the Oracle. Natira turns and runs out of the room. Next thing we see is Natira in the Oracle room. 
And the Oracle is saying, you have listened to the truth of non-believers. So Kirk, Spock, and McCoy enter the room, and McCoy goes and holds Natira. And McCoy uses the device to remove the obedience device from her head. So Kirk asks if she's okay, and McCoy says, she'll be all right. I'll stay with her. Then he tells them that the book is in the obelisk. As Kirk and Spock approach the obelisk, the Oracle says, you are non-believers. It is sacrilege to look at the book. There's a loud thunder crack and all of a sudden wind kicks up and the symbols on the walls turn red. Spock picks up the tricorder and says temperature is 111 degrees. Well, so Dana, I mean, I thought this was a cool effect, right? The whole heat thing. But why not just shock him again and kill him? And the wind? That didn't make any sense. Kirk gets the top of the obelisk open and he gives the book to Spock as Spock reports the temperature is now 120. Spock flips through the book. He sees a diagram that looks like the main altar. He tells Kirk to apply pressure to the center. So Dana, why didn't the instructions just say, press the button? Just press the button. (laughs) Yeah, press that big thing that's sticking out from the center of that. That looks like a button. So Kirk does and the altar moves forward, revealing another door. Spock goes through the door and we see a huge computer room. Never seen anything like this before. Never. Nothing like this, especially in the Paradise Syndrome. (laughs) Or Landru or like five or six other episodes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It goes to a switch and turns off the heat. Was it marked like thermostat or something? (laughs) It's like... How does he know? Yeah, I mean, there's like a thousand buttons in there. He goes to this one panel and turns the heat off. Like, oh, yeah, I've seen this computer before. Yeah. In the computer room, Kirk says, not too different from the Enterprise. <laughs> oh, come on. It was built 10,000 fucking years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, Danny, here's what was the same. They had lights and flashy things. And little toggle switches. Right. Spock says there seems to be a weakness in one of the eight tubes. So Spock says he's going to check. And he, and he runs off this flight of stairs. So Spock comes back down the stairs in the computer room. He says, ready for course correction. Kirk looks at the panel, then turns and flips switches on the panel behind him. <laughs> With, there's no writing on any of those switches. He's just like, I, I am maybe this one here. I think I'll flip this one. <laughs> I'll just make it look good. Maybe Spock will think I know what I'm doing. So. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, guidance control's taking over. I believe we can allow the ship to go back to its automatic control. So uh, they start to go out of the computer room and Spock stops and he spots these shelves. He says, Captain, intelligence files. How would he know, Dana? Well, it gets better. He says, their banks contain the total knowledge of the Fabrini. Then he uses the tricorder to scan the files. He says, and they seem to have amassed a great deal of medical knowledge. Oh, God, what poor writing. Really, really bad. So back on the Enterprise, they're still out in front of the asteroid. In sickbay, McCoy is on the table. Spock is using the tricorder as Chapel is giving McCoy a shot. In the neck. Yeah, and he's groaning. Right. Then Chapel says, excellent, doctor. The white corpuscle count is back to normal. And McCoy groans again. And Spock says, your hemoglobin count is back to normal, doctor, which indicates that the flow of oxygen to each cell of your body is back up to its abundantly energetic level. And so McCoy says, thank you, Mr. Spock, for bringing back the knowledge of the Fabrini. In case you didn't figure out that's what they were going to do with those files. Exactly. So Kirk says, Dr. McCoy, the Fabrini descendants are scheduled to debark on their promised planet in approximately 390 days. He says, I think that we could manage to be in that vicinity at that time if you wanted to thank the Fabrini personally. McCoy smiles at the thought. And Dan, that's how this episode ends. 
Dana, you have some information about people involved in this episode. Yeah, Dan. Kate Woodville, who played Natira, was an English actress, and she shows up in a lot of TV shows and movies of the 60s and 70s. She was actually the first woman to die on the TV show The Avengers. And later, she married Patrick McNee, who also played John Steed on The Avengers. Are they still married? No, the marriage only lasted about four years. I looked carefully through her crest, and I did not see any Elvis or John Wayne movies, but she did show up in shows like It Takes a Thief, Mission Impossible, The Saint, and later did Kung Fu, Kolchak the Night Stalker, The Rockford Files, Wonder Woman, and even Eight is Enough. She retired from acting in the late 70s and became a horse breeder. (laughs) Weird. Don't you think it's just kind of weird? Well, she must have had a love for horses. So, Dana, she was not in any adult films? No. Wow, we haven't had any of those in a while. Also, I have uh, the writer of this episode was Rick Vollertz. He knew Roddenberry from when they worked together on a 1950s TV show called Mr. District Attorney. Along with this episode, he wrote six episodes for Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and a couple of Batman episodes where he introduced the villain, the bookworm, who was played by Roddy McDowell. Over his career, he wrote for a lot of TV shows, Rawhide, One Step Beyond, Combat, and the 1970s kids show Shazam. He was born in 1918, and he passed away in 1988. But this is the only Star Trek episode he wrote. Well, I'm glad it's the only one he wrote, Dana, because it just wasn't that good. I mean, it wasn't horrible. But it wasn't great either. So do you have anything for us, Dan? Yeah, I do have a few things, Dana. Recycled. We've been talking about this, right? Season three, a lot of recycled stuff. We alluded to this earlier, but the book that was inside of the Oracle was exactly the same book as the one used in A Piece of the Action. Also, if you think Yanata looks familiar, the asteroid, that was reused footage from the Paradise Syndrome, the asteroid that was going to hit planet in the Paradise Syndrome. So that got recycled. And also, kind of getting recycled, Dana was an actor. He played the old man who died earlier in the episode. This is the only episode in all of Star Trek to feature three characters from the original pilot, The Cage. Nimoy, who played Spock. Majel Barrett, who in that pilot played a character called Number One. And John Lomer, who was the old man in this episode. He played one of the survivors of the SS Columbia expedition in the pilot. That's everything I have, Dana. Dana, what do you have for a theme or dilemma in this episode? Dan, the thing that stood out to me is the commitment of love as opposed to the commitment uh, to a belief or a deity. Natira was really struggling to stay faithful to her deity, the Oracle, uh, because she loved McCoy so much. How about you, Dan? Do you have a theme or dilemma to discuss? Dana, mine was, I think, somewhat similar, but the dilemma, I thought, is what would someone do for love? Would you leave a career? Or in this case, would you leave an entire world? Yeah, it's a good question, Dan. Not really. It wasn't that good. It just wasn't that good. I really couldn't think of a whole lot. (laughs) Dana, do you have a best part for this episode? One of my favorite things was the subplot of McCoy's life-threatening illness. You know, first you start out with the missile attack right off the bat, and then you go to that, and it adds a lot of drama. And, you know, and it also puts McCoy in a different light than he's been in for most of the third season. How about you? Do you have a best part? Dana, the opening. I thought it was dramatic. I thought it was mysterious. The music that accompanied the opening I thought was really great. Really enjoyed the opening. How about another best part for you? I'm going to stay on DeForest Kelly, and it's McCoy's love story. This is the first time that we've seen him in this kind of relationship where he is 
so affected. Again, it's it's nice to see someone else other than Kirk getting the girl. How about you? Do you have another best part? I'd say the concept of a generation ship. I just love that concept. I know a lot of science fiction stories have been based on that same concept. So I really enjoyed that. Dana, how about a worst part for you? We touched on this some, Dan. Another computer dishing out punishment and people following blindly. This computer thing and controlling that's gone awry. At least Kirk didn't talk it to death. <laughs> Good point. How about you? What's the worst part for you, Dan? Also a recycled idea, the asteroid that's going to hit a planet and the locals can't change its course. How about another worst part for you? This episode works for me in a lot of ways, but when it got to the end, and this was just, I think, part of nineteen late 1960s television, was just the kind of sappy, silly dialogue and the repetitive dialogue. And I wasn't asking for much, but it just kind of failed me there at the end. Do you have another worst part, Dan? It's funny, Dana. Our, we're really parallel on our best and worst today. The ending for me was also really unsatisfying. I want to know what happens to the people when they get to whatever this new world is. And I want to know where that new world is and how it's all going to get explained to them. I know it'd be hard to do it in this one episode, but anyway, it was just kind of unsatisfying. So Dana, what happened on the state in history? Dan, this show aired on November 8th, 1968. Well, Dan, uh, for starters, the number one song in the U.S. was Hey Jude by the Beatles. Wow, that's new. Yeah, I think that's six weeks now. And the number one song in the U.K. did change. It's the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly theme by Hugo Montenegro and his orchestra and chorus. Wow, that's weird that that would be the number one song. Oh, man, I loved that song when I was a kid. I love that song now, Dana. Okay, Dan, uh, the United States launched the Pioneer 9 satellite into orbit around the sun on an assignment as a robot interplanetary weatherman on the lookout for solar radiation storms hazardous to moon-bound astronauts. Also on this date, the divorce between Beatles' John Lennon and his first wife, Cynthia Lennon, became official a little more than five months after Cynthia had returned to the couple's home in Surrey and found that Yoko had moved in. (laughs) (laughs) How does that work, Dana? She, like, went out for groceries and she came back and there's Yoko? I mean... I I think... John Center, like, hey, you know, go visit the Bahamas, you know, go, you know, take a nice long trip and I'll just be waiting here for you, me and Yoko. (laughs) So, and just Yoko backed up her bags and moved in. Did she start doing the screaming thing when, I mean, sorry, singing when uh, the uh, the other wife came home? (laughs) Wow, that's a scary thought. Uh, On this date, uh, Parker Posey was born in Baltimore. Uh, Who? Actress. No, I, no clue. No clue who that is. Also, Dan, the actor Wendell Corey died at age 54. Now, not everybody knows his name. He's one of those guys who appears in a whole bunch of movies and TV shows. And you go, oh, I wonder who that guy is. He was in the movie Rear Window. He was in the movie The Rainmaker with Katherine Hepburn. Uh, he was in the movie Holiday Affair with Robert Mitchum. It just, you know, and he was kind of like usually just as a good guy who never got the girl. Finally, on November 12th, the U.S. Supreme Court issued it's nine to zero ruling in the Epperson versus Arkansas invalidating a 1928 Arkansas statute that prohibited the teaching of human evolution, agreeing that it was a violation of the provision of the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Okay, shall we move on to the counts? Yeah, Dana, let's do that. How about the dead crewman count this week? Dan, it's very disappointing, but nobody's died. Disappointing, Dana. Yeah, so we are still at 47 and a half. Talking about disappointment, shirtless Kirk grip shirt Kirk count. 
zero this week, Dan. I think Shatner was putting on weight and didn't want to take off his shirt this season. We are at 18. But he's dead count. We did get one. Yay. It was the old herb pusher. <laughs> we are up to 22 now. You know, a good dealer knows never to, you know, sample their own supply, Dana. How about the I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank? <sighs> <laughs> sorry, Dana. I'm sorry. I was listening to a previous episode from season two. Mm -hmm. I think it was episode 10. Back then, we were at six. Okay. We're eight episodes into season three. He, had, he said it twice. So we're at eight, and I don't think that's moving. I'm going to place a bet that we reached the end of this, and he has never said, he never says, I'm a doctor, not a refrigerator, or whatever he says, you know. So we should make a bet. I'm going to bet he says it at least one more time. What, do you, what should we bet? I'll buy your ticket to uh, one of the. Uh, conferences we go to oh god i wasn't gonna do anything that expensive i was thinking <laughs> the loser has to buy a tub of garrett's chicago mix popcorn for the winner that's a good one how about the supreme being count dana nope not this week dan so we're still at 11 all right violation of the prime directive i'm at a toss-up once again on this i mean it seems to me like they violated the prime directive what do you think yeah it's a tough one i mean they said they were from a ship well then at the end they tell the whole story that's true. Yeah. They saved the planet. They killed their Oracle. <laughs> <laughs> we actually don't know what happened to the Oracle, do we? Well, I mean, if you're really, really convinced. No, I, I am unconvinced. Well, if we go just by the word of the Prime Directive, yeah. I think you're right. They violated the Prime Directive. So let's say yes. Okay. So that's uh, one this week. That puts us up to 12. All right. Taking over of the Enterprise count. Nope. Nobody even came close this week. Uh, we are still at 13, Dan. And then finally, who's commanding the Enterprise? We had both uh, Spock and Scotty sit in the uh, command chair. So that's uh, two for this week, and that puts us up to 33. I agree that it was Scotty and Spock, but it's I think it's three times. And let me explain my, my reasoning. Spock's in the chair at the very opening, right? Because Kirk was in the bathroom or wherever he was. Then after the opening credits, Spock again is in the chair when Kirk returns from sick bay. Now, it was the same footage, but Kirk was down in sick bay. And now he comes back and Spock's in the chair a second time. It's not just a recap of the first time he was in the chair. And then we see Scotty. So I got three, Dana. For right now, I'll put it in there. Okay. And so that would bump us up to 34. Dana, I mean, I thought this one was okay, but just kind of blah. I, I wasn't like blown away by it. I like some parts of it. Other parts, I was like, uh, kind of dumb. What about you? Yeah, Dan, I, uh, I think I liked it a little bit more than you did. I don't like that it reused the computer, you know, the punishment fear thing of the computer and the, or, you know, quote unquote Oracle. Uh, I thought it was still a pretty good episode, you know, especially with the love story for McCoy. So I, I did enjoy this one more than I thought I would. Is it my top 10? No, but it might creep into the top 30. All right. Well, Dana, great talking with you about this episode. As always, had a lot of fun. What do we got coming up next week? Dan, next week, it's the Tholian Web. Dan, it's always great to sit down and talk to you about Star Trek. And thanks again to all of our listeners for their continued support and friendship. Don't forget, we do have a phone number. What is that number? You know, maybe we need to kind of emphasize it's free. Like they don't have to pay anything. <laughs> <laughs> so the phone number is 509-676-6298. All right, Dana, had a great time. Enjoy the rest of your week. Okay, Dan, have a good one. And until we meet again... Live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. 
please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or X. You can also call the Dammit Jim hotline at 509-676-6298. Enjoy the rest of your week, and as always, remember to live long and prosper. This has been a Ramble Jar production.